This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 32. Today I'm joined by the rock and roll bow hunter, Jimmy Herman. Jimmy is the fiddle player, guitar player in the Carrie Underwood Band, and a diehard bow hunter. We're talking all things rock and roll and whitetails, so stay tuned. All right, welcome back to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and uh, as always, I am joined by my co-host, John Mulligan. What's going on, my man? I'm good, man. I'm stoked for today's show, dude. It's uh, For those out there listening, this is one of those podcasts that I've been looking forward to for a little while. It seems like I say that almost every time. It's kind of a cool thing where you get to interview and talk to people that you you know wish you could hang out with or meet, but... Today is, uh, you know, we're talking to a guy that is, uh, I think that he and I are probably alike in a lot of, in a lot of ways. He's a, a diehard bow hunter and, you know, of course, bringing someone on who is from the music background is always a, a plus. It's one of those things where I could talk music or bow hunting all day and today's guest can do just that. Um, and super stoked to have Jimmy Herman on the show. For those of you that aren't familiar with Jimmy, uh, he's a diehard bow hunter. Like I said, he's a big time guitar player and fiddle player for the country band, the Carrie Underwood band. Um, so of course his accomplishments in music uh, completely dwarf mine, but nonetheless, we'll, uh, we'll have a good conversation with Jimmy talking music and bow hunting. But before I do that, we'll do a little catching up with, uh, with my good buddy, John, man. So what's shaking this week? What have you been up to, man? Let's see. This week, uh, let's see what have we what have we done this week, man? It's um, oh, we had a lot of rain. Um, nice. I actually just uh, got back in town from the Vortex Open. I went and shot that in Wisconsin over the weekend. That was a lot of fun to uh, hook up with some of my buddies from the Arrow Wild Web Show and and fling some arrows. Uh, everybody shot pretty good. Won a few prizes while we were there, and. Um, 
just kind of back uh, doing the solar eclipse thing and all that cool stuff. But nice. uh, more importantly, man, I'm just counting down the days to bow season, you know? Dude, I know. I'm, I'm right there. How is it? So, so I assume you have your eyesight still. What's that? I said, I assume you have your eyesight from the solar eclipse. You didn't stare directly at it, did you? No, no. Well, and man, talking about a total letdown, it was real cloudy all morning long. And uh, of course, my kids, uh, they start back school Wednesday. So they're still home today. And and they're like, they're, you know, they're all bummed out. They're like, oh, it's too cloudy. We're not going to get to see anything. And then all of a sudden the clouds parted, the sun comes out and I'm like, holy crap, we're going to, you know, we're going to actually going to get to watch it. So we fashioned up the old cereal box thing that we saw on some YouTube video on how to make one. And uh, <laughs> we were outside and we were checking it out and, and we got to about halfway and then all of a sudden it started raining and it got cloudy and the kids were all bummed and I'm smiling ear to ear because I know my food plots are getting water. <laughs> nice nice yeah i actually i missed it man it's like i i plan to go out and check it out so where i work it's you know there's a lot of folks that are into science and they actually you know bought a bunch of the solar eclipse glasses and stuff like that and um i, I heard you can get with, those with, uh half price now yeah yeah they should be They're pretty cheap about now <laughs> I know. So anyone out there listening, if you see like a sale on really funky looking sunglasses uh, that look like they were made from a cereal box, yeah, you might want to pass on that. Yeah. They're only good about once every yeah. millennium. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, isn't there another one in, uh, is it 2024 is when they're saying the next one's going to be? I thought it was like, a. I mean, I don't know. It's the, I kept seeing like it advertised or people talking about like it's a once in a lifetime thing. And I'm like, I, I, I feel like I've seen an eclipse like multiple times. I feel like I saw one like two years ago, even. Well, I, um, let's see, 1979, there was one and, and then 2017, but I want to say, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I was, you know, in between phone calls and emails and then the kids had the TV on in the other room. And I thought I heard them say something about 2024 would be the next opportunity to see one, but Hmm. Uh, there's the people that predict that are a whole lot smarter than me, you know? Right. Yeah. I hear that seven years. Well, that'd be seven years. That's like Haley. I don't know. Haley's comments like what once every 79 years or something or man, people yeah, are listening. Maybe that's like a once in a lifetime thing. Right. People listening to this are like, man, these guys do not know their science. Folks do not tune in for a, <laughs> yeah. a science lesson from yeah. John Wright. <laughs> it's going to be bad. News. Yeah. There's, yeah. People are listening going, these guys are dumb yeah i just heard a but. bunch of people if it weren't for jimmy a bunch of people just turned off the, their podcast right now um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. yeah so i didn't i didn't even get to check it out a bunch of people went outside for it no. i i was head down in a, bu- in a bunch of work after i got back from i had you know we had a, a team lunch today to do some some co-worker bonding and uh i came back and had a pile of work to try to get through and i just totally forgot i looked up and it was like everyone came inside and was like oh that was really cool and i'm like yep totally missed that one so yep <laughs> totally miss that catch it next time around <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but i mean otherwise man it's like my weekend was it was crazy man i think i mentioned on maybe the last podcast that my wife and i were uh, moving to a new house we picked up a house and so the packing has started and I spent the weekend redoing uh, some some hardwood floors, and uh, so I have all the aches and pains associated with that. So I'm not moving real real quickly today. The bummer is though, man. I don't even think I told you this, but you know, you and I are both obviously getting ready for our Montana hunts, 
and I've been, you know, training pretty hard and getting, getting ready. And man, I sprained or did something to my foot to where it just hurts like hell. And I don't know what I did to it. And I'm just like hoping that it On goes the top away. or bottom bottom. Like, so like the ball of my foot, like it feel, it's not my arch. It's right in the ball. So I don't know if I bruised the ball of my foot or if I sprained yep. my big toe or what's going on. But man, it, like I can't really do anything, which stinks. Cause I'm getting down to like, you know, T minus two weeks and I'm going. Sure. Um, yep. So I, I'm be honest, like I've been freaking out a little bit going like, you gotta be kidding me. Like of all the times to get hurt, like <laughs> two weeks before I leave is whenever I'm going to screw up my foot. So, so obviously rest is, um, Dr. Mulligan's recommendation is, uh, lots of rest until you can, uh, cause obviously you don't want to get yourself in a situation where it's still hurting when you're out there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I've, I've, I've been trying to stay off of it, but with moving, man, it's like, I've been having to carry like all these boxes and stuff like that. So it's like it's just completely staying off. If it's not been an option, I will say it's starting to feel a yeah. little bit better. And I do have a doctor's appointment just to kind of go get it checked out on Wednesday to make sure that there's nothing like, you know, that I can do, you know, in addition to what I'm already doing. Um, sure. You know, my, uh, method of medication or of, of, uh, healing oneself is, you know, some rest and then a couple belts of bourbon and I don't really feel my toe anymore. Yep. So, <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it works every time. Yeah. A little, it's a Kentucky's, it's a little bit of Kentucky's finest. You know, I don't know how that'll work at altitude though. In Montana, I don't know that that would be necessarily the way to go. <laughs> But man, <laughs> yeah, it might get me. Yeah, might. it's uh, well, and you know, speaking of uh, of Montana, um, going back to what else I had going on. So I had a little bit of a cameraman issue. Mm. Um, the guy that I was actually um, that, that was going to go out to Montana with me to film um, last minute uh, through kind of a curveball. And there was a couple of issues that came up. One was his uh, his employment. Uh, didn't know if he was going to even be able to get off work. Oh, wow. And, you know, um, if anybody's been out west, um, I think anybody will agree that. Um, well, let me back up. So if you're if you're going to climb into a tree stand with a camera guy, you know, you might not be best friends with a guy, but you're only sitting for three or four hours sometimes and. You're really not talking. So let's say you're having a little spat, no big deal. Right. But if you're going out West, um, the mentality is so grueling and it's, it can be so humbling at times. Um, example being like last year on an antelope hunt, you know, you might put in a 30, 45, maybe even an hour long stalk crawling on your knees and your belly or, you know, stepping over cactus in your socks and just before you're at that point where you might be able to get a shot, then that buck takes off running. So you regroup back to the truck, start all over again. So it's, it's so humbling and you got to keep your spirits up. So going into this hunt, I'm already like freaking out, like, Oh geez, you know, what's going to happen. And, and I said, I, I have to know if you're going to make it or not because self-filming an antelope hunt spot and stalk with a bow is just not going to happen. Right. Fortunately, a really, really good friend of mine, um, my buddy Jesse Godwin, he's also in Iowa. He, um, we were on the phone and, and he says, uh, he says, man, what's going on? I kind of explained my predicament that I was in. And I said, look, my hunt's like in 11 days. And he says, dude, we got this. I'm <laughs> your guy. I'm going with you. 
problem nice. solved. So um, it it came through, man. And it's you know it's one of those things we talk about. There's a lot of good dudes that are in the hunting industry, and you know you get to make a lot of good friends along the way. And and um, I think that's one of those deals where it's kind of a reminder. Sometimes keeping that small circle of buddies uh, mm-hmm. where they can come through in a clutch and help you out there. So he he saved the day, and but that was about 72 hours of pure panic, like. You know, am I, am I going out there by myself? Do I have somebody? Do I not have somebody? Man, it was a mess. Absolute right. mess. Dude, that's, uh, that's awesome. Cause I know that when we talked there, whatever, whatever day that was, you'd, you'd mentioned, I think it was the day that you found out that you thought you might be riding solo or you didn't have somebody yeah. to, to go with you. And it wasn't, it wasn't good. So question though, like, so I've never hunted antelope. So that's, that's something that's foreign to me. Would you, uh-huh. I mean, would you even entertain the possibility of self-filming that or is it just like not possible in the least? Yeah. I mean, I think if you were sitting on a water hole in a blind, um, self-filming is possible. Um, it's, right. you know, it's definitely doable. It's no different than probably self-filming, you know, a turkey hunt out of a blind or even a deer hunt out of a blind. Um, but yeah, spot and stalk, the terrain's so different, you know, you're, you're carrying your bow and and you're belly crawling and if you had a camera you'd have to have it on a tripod right. so there's added you know added equipment and and then you're trying to get that set up and if anybody's ever tried to spot and stalk a turkey um an antelope is no different as far as vision except antelope run 55 miles an hour so it's right it's really really tough to do uh, spot and stalk i mean there's guys that obviously people have done it for years and had a lot of success last year in montana I did not have success. And, um, I mean, it was very humbling because I'll, I'll be honest. I, I went out there thinking, you know, I got this, you know, I'm a good shot, you know, I'm in shape. You know, I can sneak up on one of these jokers and man, they are skittish little boogers. Are they nice? A buddy of mine, just uh, one of the guys I'm going elk hunting with, he lives out in Montana and he actually sent me a text. Uh, what day was that? I guess it was, I guess it was yesterday, maybe. No, actually, I think it was over the weekend. Might have been Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, he sent me a picture of a blood drop on the ground where he uh, he was out hunting antelope and and uh, managed to uh, run into one. So I actually never got a text back from him. So I don't know how the track went. But uh, dude, I just seen that oh, one yeah. picture. I was just I was yeah. jacked up and ready for hunting season, dude. That's all I needed was just like I texted <laughs> back. I was like, "Great, dude!" Like that's all I needed. I was like, "I'm currently scrubbing a hardwood floor with a Brillo pad right now." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it. um, it's coming up, man. It's getting close. I, I leave, um, the morning of the 31st, I, I'll push out of here probably about five o'clock in the morning. And I've got about a two hour drive on my way, um, to pick, to pick Jesse up and then he'll pile in the truck and then we'll have about 10 and a half hours or so. Once I pick him up to make it to our, uh, our public land destination. Nice, man. Yeah, I mean, it's right around the corner, dude. It's, uh, I leave in, well, what is it? I guess like two weeks-ish, like two and a half weeks, uh-huh. I guess I leave. Uh-huh. Um, You've got quite the quite the longer drive than I do. Dude, you ain't kidding. It's I think it's 36 hours, and we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it straight through, straight shot, just taking turns driving, uh, the three sure. of us. So it'll be... Uh, yeah, it'll be an it'll be an interesting it'll be an interesting trip. But I'm ready to go, man. It's like I've been looking forward to this for for like a year. 
to get out there. I've never hunted Montana before, um, never hunted elk before. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to it. And the cool thing is, is as soon as I turn around and come back, you know, spend two weeks in the mountains and come back and it will be uh, the opening of whitetail season, I think will happen the very following week here for Pennsylvania. Yeah, actually, because I'll get back the yep. 23rd and then um, statewide it opens on the 30th in Pennsylvania. So I'll be right in the midst there of uh, the beginning of whitetail season, which is, which is, uh, which is pretty nice, man. I, th- I have just a little bit more work to do yet. I'll be headed back home, not this weekend, but next, and uh, wrap up some of the final. I got to finish putting in one more food plot, and then uh, do mm-hmm. a card pool, and then that'll kind of be the last inventory I get before the season season hits. And I'll try to make that opening weekend plan of where I'm going to go. Does that buck lucky that I have on camera for the, for the past two years, does he show up? I have one camera kind of set up just for him where I think I know where he's betting, but I know the travel corridor that he's using. So I have it set up in a pinch point there and we'll see if he comes through there and, and shows himself and gives me some Intel that I can, can get on him. Otherwise there's a nice one on my dad's property that I can probably get on early. Um, sure. But, but my goal is to try to kill that, that deer lucky on the, uh, on the big farm um, during the month of October. So that's kind of my guy this year. Gotcha. We'll see if see if he shows up. But that's my plan, man. And it's almost it's almost time. And it's you know I can't believe it. It feels like I've been talking about it for forever, and it's just right around the corner. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I'll get back from Montana, and then I'll have uh, ten days, and then I'll be in a tree uh, opening weekend in Missouri, uh, September fifteenth, sixteenth, and I'll probably hunt the evenings. Um, you know, all the, you know, those days I'll, you know, when permitting, um, I'd like to hunt the first, you know, three days, maybe four days, um, see how that goes. And then it'll be time to kind of back out, let things cool down and see what the cameras are showing, see what kind of activity we're having, but, uh, hopefully the weather's good. And then October 1st to Iowa, but I just found out today, you know, the working man stuff, we, uh, we work so we can hunt. Right. And right. I just found out that I have to travel to Ohio for a work meeting on October 1st and October 2nd. So I'm going to miss the first two days of, uh, of the bow opener here in Iowa. Man, that's a bummer. It's so it's yeah, weird. You're not kidding. October, October, <laughs> it's, so you wait all year and it's like, oh, it's almost here. Nope. <laughs> nope. Yep. The, your oh, home man. state that you do all your food plots for, and you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. Yeah, because I mean, if nothing you know, else, it's, you just want to get out. You know what I mean? It's like, that's uh, yeah, a bummer, man. I know. I mean, you know, it, and, it, and to be honest, like a, a lot of early season plan this year was to sit in some observation stands and, you know, get a little more scout time and, and stuff. Now, all that goes out the window if I do a card pull and – and I've got bucks that are showing up, you know, by my tree stands uh, consistently and patternable and, and things like that. And then, sure, it, w- it would be nice to try to sneak in there and, you know, and capture one. But I don't know, man. It's, uh, you know, like I said, it is what it is. I, I'm not made of money, so got to work to, you know, to pay the bills and uh, to have the opportunity to hunt. So just going to have to... Uh, to grin and bear it and hopefully that extra little bit of patience will uh will hold off and you know there's something also it's a lot of guys i think early season will go rushing in guns a blazing and they can kind of screw up the rest of their season because of that yeah i was just gonna say that man because like i don't know i've i've contemplated this year you know for me 
you know, it's it, to get back to our farm, it's like a three hour drive um, to either the big farm or my my dad's property. It's a little further from my dad's property, probably about three and a half hours. You know, so for me, it's like I've contemplated like laying low and just hunting some of the public ground around where I live or out at my buddy Phil's place. We put some food plots in and stuff like that where I can go out there and and hunt and kind of, you know, get my rocks off for the for the early part of the season and let the the places where I know that I have a deer, you know, kind of. I don't want to say pattern, but I have a good idea of what he's doing, waiting until I get the right opportunity to go, to go in after him. And I say, it seems like I say that every year and then every year on opening day, I'm sitting in a tree stand. So, you know, it's, right. it's a lot easier. It's a lot yeah. easier said than, it's than e- done whenever. Easier said the, than done. That's yeah, right. Exactly. But uh, speaking of bow hunting, man, we got a guy that we're about ready to dial in, and Jimmy Herman, that is a diehard bow hunter. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking to him. So, man, what do you say we uh, we go ahead and shut this thing down and get him on the line? Uh, that's awesome, man. I'm telling you, you're right. He's uh, Jimmy's just a, I mean, he's a rocker through and through, man. To to quote um, Joe Dirt there, but he's um, he's a great guitar player and he's a super awesome hunter too. He's grown up hunting his whole life and. Uh, I got a chance to meet Jimmy um, earlier last year. This was last year. Um, and we bumped into each other at some other trade shows and stuff. And, I mean, just a genuinely super nice guy that's, like, always glad to meet people and interact with people. It's pretty cool. Yeah, nice. I, so I think since we since we made sure to, like, make, make sure people know that we do not know our science and we also throw in a Joe Dirt reference – I think this. Uh, I think the up front of this is, is a wrap, and we can go ahead and get Jimmy on. Yep, let's do it. Let's do it. Before we talk to Jimmy, I want to share a word about our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. By now, y'all have heard me talk about the Exodus Lift 2 trail cameras and how great they are. We'll make this short and sweet this week with three tips to make your hunting season better. Go to ExodusOutdoorGear.com, use the promo code TRUTH, and pick up a badass trail camera. Then thank me later. Now let's talk my two favorite things with Jimmy Herman, bow hunting and rock and roll. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and today I'm pretty stoked to uh, share the guest that we have today with all of you out there listening. Today is uh, we have Jimmy Herman. Uh, a lot of you may know of him from, I guess, from a multiple a multitude of different areas. One, I think he's well known as a as a bow hunter and a diehard hunter, but I think also you might know him by his evening job or his moonlighting gig, which is the uh, guitar player, fiddle player with the Carrie Underwood band. So this kind of hits really close to home for me as a former musician, or I guess you're never really a former musician, but a musician and a diehard bow hunter. So Jimmy is living the uh, living the, the good life, bow hunting and playing uh, guitar and music and, and getting a chance to travel and looking forward to digging into all those topics with him talking, you know, hunting and, and about his music background. But before we kind of dive into all the good stuff here, uh, Jimmy, how are you doing, sir? sir and good morning. Hey, good morning. I'm doing good. How are you? Not doing too bad, man. Looking forward to uh, having you on. As as we mentioned, as we were kind of talking right before we got started, I'm a, a I'm a former musician. I say former only because I don't play nearly as much as I used to. So really, kind of, it's good to have a it's good to have a, a bird of a feather on the show with me. Oh yeah, man. And it's yeah, you, you're never a former musician. It's just a different chapter, or you know, you might not be as consistent. And you right. swear, but it never, it never, it never leaves. No, it's it still rears its head once in a while. My uh, someone asked me if I'd played in a while, and I said, you know, the concerts that I play now are actually to a, an audience of one, which is my daughter. She started picking up uh, some musical instruments, which has been really cool. And I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna pick your brain on this at some point. 
Uh, but we'll get to that, yeah. uh, th- that part of it in a little bit. But uh, for those that might not be as familiar with you and your background, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a, a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you started hunting, and you know, what you do for a living. Yeah, so um, I'm from Wisconsin, uh, originally from, it's right between Eau Claire and La Crosse on the west side of Wisconsin, so it's west central, about an hour and a half east of Minneapolis, and grew up on a dairy farm there. Uh, my brother still runs the farm, still crop farms, and my whole family's still back there, so uh, Wisconsin's a big whitetail um, state, so I grew up hunting whitetails with my dad and my brother, and uh first started getting into bow hunting probably when I was about six or seven, just going out hunting with my dad. Uh, and I remember, you know, going to a stand one, one day, one afternoon, and there's this huge buck standing like right inside these pine trees on the edge of this, uh, harvested cornfield. And as soon as I saw that buck, like, I mean, it changed my life. <laughs> nice. So, uh, yeah, I started, uh, bow hunting, you know, shooting, shooting bow and, and rifles and all that stuff at a young age. And then, uh, you know, it kind of, you know, got my license when I was 12 and, uh, I've been hunting ever since. Uh, but like you said, yeah, I'm a musician. So I started playing fiddle when I was four and then, um, I grew up playing polka music. There's a lot of, uh, you know, Scandinavians, uh, up in the Midwest there. So, uh, polka music was big, uh, with my family. So I played my dad's band, um, all growing up and, uh, picked up guitars and mandolins and banjos and that stuff. Uh, probably starting like middle school. And I bought like you probably know like these Hot Licks videos. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would like pick up all these. Yeah. So these Hot Licks videos are like uh, your your like idol guitar guitar or mandolin or banjo players. Like they made these uh, instructional videos like in VHS back in like the eighties early nineties. So oh, I picked yeah. all these up and like I would just I would learn them like no for no. You know what I mean? So that's kind of how I learned how to play. Right you know, guitars and lines, like I said, banjos, mandolins and stuff like that. So I picked that stuff up starting in middle school, uh, got a top forties band in high school. And, uh, one of my buddies in, in band was playing some, some rock and roll, like on his trombone. And he, I was like, what's that? And he's like, dude, it's Led Zeppelin. I was like, who's Led Zeppelin? <laughs> <laughs> so he, uh, he, he, he gave me some eight tracks. So his dad gave me like eight tracks of Zeppelin. And I had a, my first truck was a 1970 F100, and it had an 8-track player, so he gave me these 8-tracks, and after I heard Led Zeppelin, like, my life has changed again, oh, and uh, I'm, a, I'm like a die-hard die Zeppelin fan. So, anyway, uh, got in top 40 band, started playing rock and roll, and uh, playing a lot of electric guitar, and then uh, moved to Nashville the end of I think, 2006, uh, played with several artists down here. And then about a year after moving to Nashville, I got the carry gig. So uh, I've been on the carry gig. This is going on. It'll be 10 years next month. Uh, it might be the end of this month. This nice. month or next month, yeah. That's a good ride, man, 10 years. it's uh, And we'll get into some of the, 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 yeah. the, the grind of touring stuff. But it's funny that you mentioned the, uh, the Hot Licks videos because I used to actually work with a guy. This is... Uh, probably 15 years ago, we were we were working at a Sam Ash together, and his name was Hot Licks because the guy <laughs> he could play guitar. Oh, but right. <laughs> he could only play what he learned on the videos. Like he couldn't write or anything like that. It was just yeah, right. He, he would sit down, and he was the the classic guy that came into the uh, the music store and sat down and played all the licks he learned from the Hot Licks videos. So his name was was Hot right. Licks. Yeah, but uh, it, awesome. it's those, those guys. It's those guys you put in a band and they can't they can't play rhythm, but you like put them up in in like a like a 
winger solo or something like that, and they like kill it. Oh yeah, they'll murder it for sure. Uh, and the Led, the Led Zeppelin thing was uh, kind of uh, in- interesting too. I remember. I remember when I was a kid and I was introduced to Zeppelin and Pink Floyd about the same time because my mom was a huge Zeppelin fan and my dad wasn't really much of a Zeppelin fan, but it was a huge Pink Floyd fan. So I kind of, uh, kind of got, I guess, you know, exposed to both of those at the same time. And it was, I remember laying in my bedroom as a kid and I would turn like a strobe light on and just lay there and listen to those records. Uh, You know what I mean? And just kind of imagine like, how are these guys making this music? And, uh, um, and to the point to where it's like after I left the previous band that I was in years ago, I was going to do a little two piece band, almost like a sludgy, almost mm-hmm. stoner rock type of thing. And my idea was to call it Big Leg Woman from the from the Zeppelin lyric. I just thought, oh, like, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I was just like, I was like, man, it's just like an obscure kind of reference, big leg woman. I was like two piece, you know, really loud thundering bass, almost kind of like the Melvins like, or, you know, something like that. Okay. But, uh, so I wanted to ask you, man, you mentioned that you were played in your dad's band and that's kind of where you kind of got your start. So what was your, and I know you mentioned you played a lot of polka growing up just because of the, the culture where you, where you grew up. Um, so, so what were yeah. those early years like your, your early music years, you know, your music, your family was musical, you know, what was that path kind of like? Yeah. So, uh, my dad played bass and, uh, uh, like I said, he had a, a polka, polka band slash like classic country band with like a polka, like polka vibe. Okay. So, um, all the, all the mentors I had musically were all, I mean, they were, gosh, late sixties in their seventies, you know? Wow. So those are the, pe- those are the people I hung out with. You know, I, I went to school and played, you know, I played little league baseball and stuff like that. But on the weekends I was out playing, you know, four hour gigs and, you know, we'd play these dances and it wasn't like, you know, going to, you know, it, like the, your demographics was probably the youngest person there was like, you know, 55. Right. So I grew up around, you know, the older generation. So I never like friends. So like, there, there were guys I would play music with that uh, I was in the same grade as their grandson. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and they never, and they never treated me like a kid. It was always like they treated me like a, a peer, I guess. And uh, yeah, so we played. Man, I played a lot of barn dances. I played a lot of uh, like pavilions. A, a lot of honestly, I played a lot of nursing homes too growing up. Right. Um, so um, yeah, and then, you know, it wasn't until getting in like the top forties thing where you know I didn't start doing really start doing the bar gigs and, and venues, you know, those kind of venues, uh, to later on. Right. Those, uh, I remember those gigs are always one of the most, one of the most memorable, memorable gigs are those, those ones where just kind of like when you're starting out, cause I can remember playing barn parties in like the basements of people, how people's houses and punk rock bands and stuff like that. And those yeah. are always some of the ones that you know, like stuck in my mind. It's you're playing, of course, now, you know, in your career, huge shows, I've had the, the luxury to play a couple, you know, nice sized venues playing with, you know, some friends of ours who, who were, um, you know, in, in bands who were, you know, much larger than the one that I was in and that was touring. And it's funny because I don't remember those sure. quite as fondly, you know what I mean? Because I don't know if it was like the disconnection yeah. oh, yeah. that you have with the, the crowds because it's such a large <laughs> space or or what the question is. But uh, John, do you have anything you want to add? Well, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, like hearing uh, what musical influences somebody might have, you know, growing up, you know, growing up in Kentucky initially, Obviously, I should have been like a Garth fan, and and of course, my dad was a diehard Merle Haggard, um, 
George Jones, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I grew up in, in the house. And then one of my buddies, um, he, he plays me a, um, appetite for destruction, some GNR and we were diehard skaters and it's kind of the same thing you guys were saying. I'm like, my life will never be the same. You know what I mean? Like that was the, the, the band growing up for me that I'm like, holy cow, this is awesome. Which my parents totally did not approve of whatsoever. But, you know, and as you get older, um, I'm not, an, you know, I don't play instruments and, and I don't have that ability. I was telling Jimmy on a previous phone call that I was like, I don't know if I could even tap my foot to rhythm. You know what I mean? I just, I'm not built that way. Yeah. Um, but it, it is kind of funny, like as you get older and then your musical interest, um, what you want to listen to changes, you know, um, I got into snowboarding and then the thing to listen to was like, um, uh, a lot more like punk type stuff. And I was listening to like no effects and you know, that kind of stuff. And that was awesome. And then now as I get older, I'm back to listening to country, the stuff that my parents always wanted me to listen to growing up. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny. Right. It's funny how that thing, th- those things kind of come full circle, you know, cause I took a, a certain or a similar route where it was, you know, punk rock early. You know, I remember the first, I think music changes your life at different moments in time. Like I can remember them specifically. Uh, uh, my buddy's cousin came up from mm-hmm. Georgia and it was, you know, it was a diehard skater and he brought up a mixtape for us. If those of us that are old enough to remember mixtapes, and had you know it was like the descendants and black flag and um you know uh, the dead kennedys and just all these punk rock bands and i remember hearing that and i was like this is the most aggressive fastest stuff i've ever heard in my life and i absolutely love it and then right fast forward a couple years i went to actually a Lollapalooza festival i think it was 14 god bless my mom she dropped me off at 14 years old at the gate and was like have fun i'll pick you up after the gig <laughs> at a festival and, <laughs> And I rolled right. in and it was a uh, tool. It was their first like big main stage tour. It was during the undertow record in like 1993. And I remember watching oh, wow. tool play and I was like, I'm not sure what those guys are doing, but I'm pretty sure this is a definitive moment that's going to change my life. And from that moment forward, I never played an instrument before that. I left that concert, got in the mm-hmm. with my mom was like, I want a guitar and I want to do what those guys do. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. Man, it's, uh, for me too, um, so my, my parents were big into like, the, you know, classic country stuff. I guess at that time it wasn't classic. It was like country, right. you know, like you're saying, like, Hey, the Waylon Jennings, uh, George Strait. I can't tell you how many country concerts I went to. I went to so many of those, uh, cause it, well, Wisconsin, we have so many of those summer festivals where it's, you know, four, three to four days and it's, you know, artist after artist after artist. And I saw, I swear I saw every country artist from the sixties up till the early nineties. You know what I mean? Wow. Um, but, uh, but on the other side of the spectrum, so my older, my older brother's, uh, almost 10 years older than me. So I remember riding this truck carrying Appetite for Destruction when it, when, I mean, when it first came out. I remember, you know, like that record, and that record is still awesome. Oh, like, man. That's one of those records you put on. You can, you can listen to, like, fr- like start to finish. Yeah. You know, without skipping songs. And it's, just, it's an awesome record. And I remember, uh, when, uh, Metallica's and Justice for All came out because oh, yeah. we were listening to that. Like he was big into warrants, autographs. Uh, so he introduced me to a lot. Of, like he didn't even know he was introducing it to me. You know what I mean? He just listened to what he liked. But uh, and you know, even stuff like uh, he, he 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 would kill me if I said this, but he was. I remember like him like getting like the MC Hammer record, and uh, <laughs> you know he was like just 
listening to rap like when it first you know first came out to you. So it's and it's weird things like I'll always remember where I was when I heard that, and it might not, it might only be like a three second memory, but it's one of those things that sticks with you, you know. For sure, no, it's 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 crazy how it gets in your in your bones or in your soul and just doesn't it doesn't leave. You know, it's in your we're right mm-hmm. at, the, at the onset of the of our discussion where you said you're never really a former music, musician, your approach and maybe your uh, consistency or how often you play just changes it. But you know, it's, I still get just as passionate talking about it as I did whenever I was in the throes of, you know, you know, in the studio and recording and, and touring and stuff like that. But so I have a super critical question here for you. And this is, this is a big one. There's maybe three like cornerstone questions during this session. And so it's, this is a big, right. this is a biggie. So prepare yourself. Okay. This is the buildup right here. I yeah. Can feel, I can feel the I can feel the buildup here. <laughs> the tension. The, the tension, tension is palpable. <laughs> so, what are you? What is in your MP3 player right now? What is What is Jimmy Herman listening to now and rocking out to? Oh my gosh. Uh, Hot take. Okay. Okay. You want? Did you say you want like three? Yeah. Give me three. Give me your top three, and then John, I'll I'll want okay. your top three. Okay, well, uh, I'm not gonna lie, Led Zeppelin's in there always. Sweet. Yes. Uh, Chris, ba- Chris, ba- Chris Stapleton is another one. Oh, great record! His new record's amazing. Uh, yeah, uh, and then oh, I'm trying to think. Oh, there's so much. This isn't your top three of all time. Just currently, what's in there? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm just gonna say last few things I listened to: Stapleton, Led Zeppelin, and Jerry Reed. You know who Jerry Reed is? I don't know who Jerry Reed is. I'm gonna have to write that down. That looks like uh, some research work is gonna be required on my part. So, yeah, yeah. So I'll give you a quick, a quick overview. So Jerry Reed uh, was a country artist, awesome, awesome, awesome guitar player, session guy. Uh, but he was uh, also in Smoking the Bandit. So you okay. know the truck driver in Smoking the Bandit? Yeah, that's Jerry Reed. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's him. Awesome. So John, what's uh, so what what's your uh, three artists you're listening to currently? Uh, so on my MP3, the only time, uh, I listen to like my iPod, it stays in my truck. It stays in my gym bag. So all of my stuff that I listen to on that is going to be workout related, you know? So it wouldn't be like the cruising around music. Um, but even though I say that, uh, (laughs) so it's, uh, surprisingly, uh, Eminem. Um, with some Dr. Dre, I'll kind of put those guys together. So right. I've got a lot of that, uh, that's on my iPod. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think what else I've got loaded on there right now. Um, I do still have some, uh, old school appetite for destruction, which, you know, like you guys, like we were saying, that's an album you can just start track one to like track 12 and you're just, you're rocking out all the way through Mr. Brownstone. And then third would be, um, Chris Stapleton as well. Um, and a little fun fact, um, I believe him and I were actually at the same birthing hospital at the exact same time. Oh, that's right. He's from um, Kentucky, in Lexington, Kentucky. So <laughs> that's kind of weird and, uh, and random, but yeah, that's cool. So in my rotation currently is, um, so number one, actually, it's like, I'm absolutely digging in one of my favorite things recently. I have a bad habit of like, I find something I like and I just listen to it until I almost kill it. Um, and that is currently Jason Isbell's new record. Um, 
phenomenal. Went okay. to went to see him live. Um, and then the other thing that's in my player right now is the band that he was in prior to that, which was the, the uh, Drive By Truckers. Um, I used to see them quite oh, yeah. a bit when I lived in Orlando. Um, my friend of mine owned a small club, and they would tour through. So I got to see him quite a few times with the with the Truckers. And then the other one, this one's maybe a little might be a little bit more obscure, but uh, it's uh, his name's Lincoln Durham. I don't know, Jimmy, did you ever hear of him? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. No, I haven't. Check him out. He's he's really good, man. He's I think he's from Texas. One man band. He does play with a okay. band sometimes, but he's almost like a blues punk rock. It's like if you took like a an 80 year old like black man from the Mississippi Delta and gave him a slide guitar mm-hmm. and stuck him in like a 29 yeah. year old punk rocker's body. Like that's who this guy is. Yeah. It's just really weird. Gothic uh, okay, blues, Delta blues, slide guitar, one man band type stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's killer. yeah, yeah. So that's what I've been listening to uh, lately. But I, of course, big fan of Stapleton got to see him, I guess a year or so ago. I just can't believe that voice comes out of that man. It's just, I know, I know it's crazy. Before we turn our attention to bow hunting, let's hear this week's Whitetail Institute food plot tip of the week. Think missing your spring planning date means no food plots for you this year? Think again. John shares how being late to the food plot party could help set your food plot table up for success. What I tell folks is if you've missed your planning dates, uh, wait till the next set of planning dates. And especially, I do, down here in Alabama, I plant everything in the fall, uh, except for our specific uh, spring-summer annual power plant. Uh, if, if I miss the spring date, uh, tell folks, uh, just wait till fall and use that intervening period to do an especially good job of getting your seed bed ready to plant. Yeah, you'll miss a few months of having a food plot in there, but as a result, you'll have you'll have the best growing environment for that for that fall forage that you can possibly provide. And if you plant a perennial, that will help you in maintenance uh, in future years because you'll have gotten a lot of grass and weed seed out. Uh, you'll you'll have the optimum growing environment for for the perennial forage. And the best way to keep weeds at bay in a perennial food plot is to keep it as thick and lush and healthy as you can. And that, my friends, is a Whitetail Institute food plot tip of the week. If you've missed your spring planting window, be sure to check out all the fall planting products Whitetail Institute has to offer by using their product selector tool at whitetailinstitute.com. Here in the next two weeks, I'll be getting my fall plots into the ground. I'll be using a combination of Attraction Plus, Bow Stand, and Tall Tine Tubers. Now let's get back to the show. All right, so you know this is a hunting-related show, so we should probably kind of dig into some uh, some hunting some hunting topics. Uh, the so, important stuff. <laughs> yeah, the important stuff. Um, so the one thing I'm always curious, man, because I know when I was playing it, it wasn't to the level that you are. That time was just of a premium, right? It's like, especially when you're on the road and in the studio, and I know you do a lot of session stuff too. Um, you know, so how much time do you actually get to hunt? you know, with your music schedule, do you, do you get to get out every year or does, you know, how hard does touring make it to get out into the woods? Man, it's uh, like a touring year. It's pretty tough. Um, honestly, like, like last year we were out 
uh, all but maybe like 40 days for the year. So, wow. uh, so in Nashville, we've got property. I, I go hunt, uh, whitetails on. So, uh, that's mostly what I got to hunt last year just because, of, uh, just because of the schedule. But, um, like we had, a, we had a day off in Boise last fall. Uh, I think it was right around this time last year. And I've got several friends out there and uh, I went, uh, scouting, uh, for elk with, uh, with them for a day just to check an area mm-hmm. that I guess, I guess it was a, like a draw only unit. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, we went and did that. If I have more than, if I honestly have more than a couple of days somewhere, um, where I can, where I can get an over the counter tag, I'll typically do it. But if it's only like a day, I mean, it's, <clears throat> that's a lot of cash to drop down for a, for a one day. And you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So it's, it's really, it's really tough on a touring year. Um, I'll try and get out with buddies and like either just go out with them, you know, and, and try to, right. you know, help, <laughs> help carry something out if they get it or just, you know, just, just to go out and be on a hunt with somebody else or just scout. It's like, with with the schedule like that's enough that's enough you know what i mean that's what's worth it uh right yeah so i mean see you were home 40 days last year so you guys i mean you guys are doing like over 300 gigs a year right (laughs) roughly uh i mean it's probably closer to 200 uh the the first tour i ever did with her i mean there were a couple like six in a row like we did six shows in a row and i mean that was that's brutal so we this last tour we have a show and a day off or show in a couple of days off in between cities. You know, it was just, it wasn't as hard on, you know, her and the band and especially the crew, man. Like I can't imagine being, um, uh, a crew guy where you're setting up and tearing down stuff every single day. You know what I mean? Like, like being a musician, like our yeah. job's like 90 minutes a day and we're, we're done, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The crew definitely, definitely takes the, uh, the, the, the brunt of that. But, do you so speaking of the crew like you know is there anyone in the band or in the crew that you're actually able to talk hunting with while you're out on the road or are you kind of or are you relegated to uh chat rooms and magazines uh there's a couple of guys that hunt a little bit um but i I typically kind of do my own thing and um man i just i I talk to hunting buddies more i talk to musician buddies you know uh so like i said like we'll have days off, especially like out West, man, I'll be hanging out with, with friends out there. You know what I mean? So I'll, I get plenty of, uh, you know, hunting talk in while I'm on the road. But I do, I mean, yeah, I, 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 you know, I look at, I read a lot of magazines and, uh, I try to watch some hunting shows and I've got, I've got several DVDs that I put on in the back lounge of, you know, when I'm itching to kill an elk or something like that, you know, and I can't, so <laughs> I'll put, I'll put those on. So, so how how weird does it get on the bus whenever you break out the elk bugle? Uh, you know, that's funny. I I have before, and I kind of wait till everybody's like in catering, having dinner or something like that. You know, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'll, or I'll, I'll do it like in the you know like what hour on the buses, and I'll get like these crazy looks from people. You know, but I'm I'm used to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Those things that, that kind of comes with the territory. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, it, it's kind of interesting, like, um, whenever you're in a career, like you, what you're saying, Jim, is when you're out and you're traveling and you're playing music and, and obviously music is at the forefront, that's the topic of every conversation typically. And 
Um, I know that when I was a police officer and I would hang out with my cop buddies, you know, somebody would say, Hey, you remember that arrest we had last week? I'm like, look, I don't want to talk about like policing at all. Like I never want to talk about that ever again if I can. (laughs) So I would, but I would try to talk hunting with those guys and some of, and most of them didn't hunt, you know, so it was, they had no idea. So you go back to what it is, you know, but I totally get that. Like what you're saying, um, when you're out on the road, I would imagine, um, the alone time is a premium and I could see how you would value that totally. Oh yeah. Well, man, it's like being a tour, I mean, tour buses, right. They're huge, right? They're it's comfortable. You got your bed, you got all your things on there, but uh, as much as you love everybody and you and you hang out, you know you're like you're good hang buddies and all that stuff. Like I mean, the, that bus gets small after several months of being, you know, living in that close quarters every day. Um, so yeah, man, like uh, days off and stuff like that, man. You, you know, it's like we all typically kind of do our own thing and get out and, and you know whatever. But you know, and talking and like talking, you know, talking shop. Like for us, it's like you know we don't talk too much about shows, you know, uh, just cause it's kind of redundant, right? Or it's like, you kind of live it. But uh, honestly, like me being out on tour, doing the hunting thing, and I'm, I'm a minority really. So, uh, it, it's right. really, it's a really good, uh, it makes a really good conversation with guys that, that, uh, guys and girls that haven't tried it or done it. That, uh, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's really awesome to see how, interested people are in it. Uh, I've got several musician friends that, uh, I mean, that, that, that play for some pretty well-known artists and, and, he, and even, not even country, I'm talking like, like the rock and roll side of things. Dude, there's so much rock and roll and so many rock musicians live in Nashville that are uh, good buddies of mine, but there's guys that are like, man, they're like, uh, they're like, I don't know if I could, if I could kill something, but it would be awesome to go out or, you know, they've, they've been thinking like, man, it'd be awesome to, you know, uh, kill kill my own deer, elk, you know, for our own meat, and uh, and that it, you know sparks a whole. I mean, we could I talk for hours with guys about that stuff. You know what I mean? And it's like you look at them, you like, dude, that is a that is a rocket roller, like through and through. And they're like all interested in wanting to, you know, go out hunting. So uh, I, you know, I have so many conversations about bow hunting with so many guys. Right. I, I think one thing that's interesting, um, you know, is or that you have a, a unique position where it's, you know, there's your career allows you a lot of or, or, or I guess affords you the opportunity to have a lot of uh, touch touch points with people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's one yeah, thing that sure. I think that I appreciate the most about what you're doing is that you use it as a platform to kind of make sure people understand like what you're into and what the hunting lifestyle is. And that it's not necessarily what they see on some of these what I'll call just kill DVDs, you know, or kill yeah, shows. Right. Yeah, right. Sure. Um, which I think is, which I think is super important. Um, that you know, and I, and you know, the platform that you have with you know the mainstream success that the band that you're in has, you know, allows you to kind of have that conversation where people will, will be open to it because of of how they initially are introduced to you as a musician, possibly, right? Yeah, so it makes sure. It kind of, uh, kind of opens that door for them to kind of listen, um, yeah. and kind of understand that hey, not everyone. You know, because I know definitely like some of the stuff I get, you know, I live around the Philadelphia area and it's like people look at you kind of sideways when you say that you hunt because they're like, they look at me and they're like, well, you're not like, you know, this, this, what I would picture as a hunter, you know what I mean? And I'm like, well, what do you picture? 
Um, yeah. you know, and some of the stuff that they say is, you know, not, um, not pleasant. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Right. Um, is what their perception yeah. is, you know, and I'm glad that in, even in my small, my small sphere that I can kind of change their mind and kind of give them a different view of hunters. But the one thing I want to ask you, man, it was that you mentioned, you know, there's some rock and roll buddies that you talk hunting with and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so do you have any, any rock and roll buddies, uh, you know, that people might be familiar with that, uh, that you have a funny story about? Oh, that I have funny stories about. Uh, yeah. Always looking for the dirt, man. Always looking for the good stuff. Always looking for the dirt. Man, I, I don't have any like funny, crazy stories, but, uh, uh, I've got some good buddies I've done some shows with um, on the rock side of things that are just, like, just really, I mean, a lot of those rock and roll dudes, like, you're like, man, they're pretty rough around the edge and stuff. Some, some of those guys are the nicest people and some of my best friends. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, one guy, for instance, his name's John Karabi. Uh, he sings for the Dead Daisies right now, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, uh, Motley Crue made a record back in 94. I think it's called Motley Crue 94. And they made it, they made yeah. one, one record without Vince Neil. So, and that was John Karabi. Um, and John Karabi, like, just coincidentally was my neighbor um, when I lived in town in Nashville. Um, and I went and did some gigs with him. And that dude is a rocker through and through. And and if you haven't listened to that Molly record, it's one, it's, to me, it's, it's the best Molly record uh, out there. Right. Um, but one this, of them. This might be sacrilegious, but I was never a huge fan of Vince Neil. Yeah. personally sure yeah I, I mean i liked I, I liked motley Crue, but he was the part of the band that i was not the wildest about yeah yeah right, oh, oh, right. Uh, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> so it's 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 funny because you're right i mean some of those guys it's you you build some of these folks these folks up right and i had one run-in with i guess two different run-ins you know that was uh that was interesting. It was, you know, I was in a band and, you know, we got a, a deal and we went actually to LA to record and stuff like that. And we were working with this guy who did some f- filter records and he did the army of anyone stuff with the guys from stone Temple pilots. Yeah. And I actually, you know, Dean DeLeo was like one of my guitar heroes growing up. Oh yeah. Um, just lo- cause I thought he was kind of the second coming of Jimmy page. You know what I mean? That was kind of how I saw him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so well, I F- absolutely F- loved F- his stuff. And so, yeah. FT does a lot like Zeppelin. They're like, I mean, Stone Pilots, yeah. I mean, they definitely have big, yeah. definitely roots for sure. Yeah, and it was cool. It's cool as their career went; they got more and more Beatles influenced, which I liked, mm-hmm. like just from a songwriting perspective, which was interesting. But sure. he they he actually lent me a bunch of gear while I was out there because I was, you know, we were a small band and, and new, and we just didn't have the money to like to necessarily go rent everything. And so yeah. he basically was like, "Yeah, whatever he needs." So he lent me a bunch of amps and stuff like that. Swung That's by awesome. the studio. I was like, hey, I heard your demos, man. He's like, it sounds like things are coming along really good or whatever. And then they were actually playing a show in L.A. and then invited, you know, their producer and then me out to hang out. And I got to kind of hang out with all those guys, which was like unreal that they took the time just to like, hang out with like a normal dude that yeah. nobody really knew. Right. LA, yeah. You know what I mean? That's surreal. Which was really cool. Um, you know, and they were just really down to earth, normal dudes, you know, that just, you know, they just wanted to go like hang out with their wife and their kids and have dinner and just like everybody else. And sometimes we, we forget that they're actually real people. The other run in was, um, the guys from Shinedown actually, we played with them quite a, uh, quite a few shows. And I actually went and rehearsed with them a handful of times as well. And that was one of the things where, 
yeah, coming from like a band that was more, you know, regional and on the come up and always on the verge of hopefully doing something. I stepped into a room with them and rehearsed and Brent is a phenomenal singer. It was one of those things where you immediately knew the difference between some guys that you've pl- like worked with as far as singers to like yeah, a right. guy that's like on another level, you know what I mean? Where it was just like, we were rehearsing these songs and I'm like, this sounds exactly like the records. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like there's not a, there's not a missed note. There's not a flat note, like anything. Um, yeah. but they were really nice guys too. And I, I think that sometimes, you know, people forget that these are just regular dudes with regular lives too. Um, Everybody is man. Everybody is. It's like, uh, I did, I was fortunate enough to do some gigs at Gene Simmons first part of this year. And it's like, we're like, we're sitting on a couch you know, in, in a green room, and it's like this dude, like the dude's normal, like he's he's a normal dude, right? I mean, but you think about like Kiss and like their legacy, and just Gene Simmons in general, like this is so surreal. But just like he was super nice to me, he was super awesome to my kids and my wife, and uh, it, it, yeah, it was just it's just crazy. And you're sitting there talking, having a normal conversation, and being like, there's like there's probably like a million fans that would be like dying right now. Right. But he's another yeah. dude. He's just another dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, is there is there anybody that uh, is there anybody that still, even though you've been doing this for a long time and in the industry, that still that whenever you the thought of meeting them or seeing them, you're kind of like, whoa, mm-hmm. like that's so and so. Yeah, is, I mean, it, I, I was like that with Steven Tyler when we did a couple things with him, and I mean, it was like you the, as soon as you hear that voice, like in your, you know, we got earbuds, those in ear monitors. And like the fusion that hits your eardrum, like direct, you're like, oh my gosh, that is every album you've ever listened to. You're like, oh my gosh, that is it. And it, and it's got you know guys and guy like guys and female artists are like like that. They're like they have that it factor. You know what I mean? You're like, oh my gosh, like as raw or as perfect as, as pristine as it is. You're like that is that is it. Uh, that like that was really cool. Um, Honestly, like any of the Zeppelin dudes would be, I would be like a little girl, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, I'll admit it right now. Um, but hey. yeah, I mean, there, there's not, a, there's not, a, there's not many, but like those, those guys, yeah, I would kind of freak out over. Yeah. And that's the, you know, and that's the funny part too. Like, cause Jimmy, when I first, um, came across you. I mean, it was actually as, um, as a hunter, you know, I, I picked you up on Facebook and, and Instagram and I'm like, man, this guy trains a lot and he does a lot of practical, uh, training, you know, uh, almost CrossFit meets Rambo style trainings. And, and I thought, why doesn't this guy just go to the gym? I mean, he seems like he's making things very difficult. And then it was, you know, a couple months later, I see tour buses and I'm like, okay, well maybe he works on a bus lot or something. And then, right. And then I see a post that, that was like you on stage playing in front of like 20,000, 30,000 people. And I'm going, wait a second, Jimmy Herman, who is this guy? So then I'd started diving into it, did some research and I'm like, okay, so this guy's like playing a live show goes out in the parking lot, pulls all the beaver fit equipment out and starts doing kettlebell workouts and then goes and hunts somewhere and then gets back on stage the next day. And I'm like, this guy's awesome. Like that's dedication right there, you know? And then, um, you and I met, I think for the first time, uh, at the ATA show this year, 
Um, then we ended up bumping into each other out of Vegas to the shot show. I think the, um, the golden moose awards, which by the way, your wife is like the absolute sweetest gal in the world. Like right off the bat, she's just like, hello, how are you? You know? And, uh, yeah, so that's, um, that's kind of a surreal moment for me is, um, you know, same like with you guys, you guys got to travel around and, and you were doing, you know, doing music things and, and you were meeting, um, awesome people that you obviously had a genuine interest in and, and, uh, respect for. And that's one of the things like I've loved about the outdoor industry is it's given me an opportunity to meet so many awesome people that fortunately there's more people that have, uh, impressed me more than my initial impression as there has been people that have kind of let me down a little bit, you know what I mean? Like you were a little disappointed sure. that you got to meet them. So, um, that's been a super cool thing. And, and I still get geeked out, you know, sometimes, um, when I get to meet certain people, you know, that I've, I've respected and looked up to over the years and stuff. Right. Man, yeah, it's, I, mean, I mean, there's nothing, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jimmy. Oh, no, I was going to say then it's, it's, for me, it's like I'm doing things that I'm passionate about. You know what I mean? Uh, so, like the the music, the fitness, and all that stuff. Like that's just like that's just what I enjoy doing. You know what I mean? So it's not like things are like fabricated or whatever. And the other thing about like that is like the hunting industry. It's like everybody's. I mean, to really be a hunter, you have to be passionate about it. It's pretty hard to fabricate that stuff. So, um, I mean, the majority of people in the industry, man, are like super sincere and. And just do it because they love it, you know, which is, you know, awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you made a good point there is that, you know, the things that we're talking about today, you know, music, you know, and then John just touched on working out and, of course, hunting. It's like those things are a grind, man. Like, you know, at, at the at this at the starting out level with music, it's like when you're just when you're playing, you're having fun. And it, it, I mean, it's always fun. But it, it's just there's not any pressure, right? And I think what the people right. what people who haven't done it and kind of tried to climb the ranks of it don't realize is that as you go, man, it's it becomes pretty tough. You know what I mean? Where it's like if you're not in it for the right reasons, it's it's just not going to last. You know because you can't put that kind of effort in over and over and over again and get the amount of rejections that people usually get during the course yeah. of a career you know, to be able to pick yourself back up and continue to do it. And it's mm-hmm. kind of the same way with hunting, you know what I mean? To where it's like, you have more failed sits in a stand than you do successful ones. And if you stop and think about that for a second, that you're going and walking into like 85% failure rate, <laughs> knowing that on any given, right. on any given set. And right. if, if you're not absolutely a hundred percent in love with what you're doing, there's no way you're going to be able to grind it out during those all day sits during the rut. Or, you know, you go do a two week, you know, I'm getting ready to go do a two week backpack, you know, DIY, uh, elk hunt in Montana. And it's like, and if you're just not in love with hunting, it's like that mountain will chew you up and will make you have a miserable time unless you love it. Right. And that's just all, all there is to it. But I wanted to kind of change course here and, and and ask something or kind of tease something up here. And John brought it up just a little bit earlier. And he, he, he had mentioned that, you know, he, he wasn't musical. Didn't think that he could tap his foot even, you know, that that was kind of like a stretch for his, his musicality. Um, but I think what's interesting is, is that even someone who maybe say, you know, and I believe that like everyone has some type of music capable, musical capability. It's just whether or not they've discovered it yet or not. Um, and it's, it's interesting how music, even though people feel as though they don't have a musical talent, that music still speaks to them in a, in a very powerful way. And then sometimes I think even more powerfully than those of us that do play, 
Um, and I think for me, in some ways, bow hunting is, is similar to that. Cause I had someone ask me one time, like, cause they didn't realize I was a musician for a long time and asked me, you know, if I had, any, if there were any similar similarities between the two. And I said, honestly, I was like, you know, I didn't have a lot of time when I was playing and living in Florida to hunt. I was like, and I missed it. I was like, you know, when I moved back to PA to where I could hunt again and stuff, I was like, I just kind of dove into it. I was like, it is probably one of the only things on the planet that I've ever found that gave me that same feeling that I had on stage playing in front of a bunch of people. I get that same feeling when I'm sitting in a tree stand and I hear the leaves crunch. I was like, to me, I was like, it's just something about that's like in you that I can't describe. And music was kind of the same way. So I don't know. Can you, is it, is it similar for you where it's like, there's just this passionate, weird connection between the two to where I almost see them being not, I won't say the same, but very similar. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know that for me, it was, it's, there's like that much of a similarity. Um, what I what I can tell you is like, man, you could put me on a stage in front of like a hundred thousand people, and I'm and I'm I'm good, right? I'm all, I'm solid. Put me in a stand with like a one sixty to a one eighty whitetail. Oh my gosh, I'm about to lose. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm about to fall. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's just it's just like it's just intense, man. It's a whole different thing. And like for me, it's for me, it's a, I, like I said, it's something I'm super passionate about. So like the only other thing other than music I'm as passionate about. Right. Um, but it's also, right. it's also what balances me out. You know what I mean? <clears throat> if that makes, if that makes sense, going from playing for, you know, whatever, thousands of people, 500 people, whatever you're, you're on the road, you're like in, in cities all the time. And then all of a sudden, like I'll go to Wisconsin and hunt, go hunt the rut, like seriously the next day and go sit out in a stand with no one for miles. It's like, it, it, it levels me out. You know, so that's that's like like my perfect balance act right there. Right. It's like the yin and the yang, right? It's the overstimulation with the, the, just the right amount of self-stimulation of being in a stand with your thoughts and being able to just kind of think and and view and, and take in all the stuff that's around you that just happens naturally that, you know, I think sometimes we just don't recognize because we're just moving too fast, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, Right. I know the one thing for me that I noticed, um, was when I started thinking about it just retroactively um, is the writing process of, of music and how I think bow hunting after I, you know, after I kind of moved on from music and was, you know, it was bow hunting a lot more, it became kind of apparent to me at least that to me there were, there was a lot of similarities in, in that and that there's these extreme highs and lows, you know, sometimes a song it takes, you know, you could probably speak to this better than I can, but, sometimes it can take years for a song to come about where you've had this chorus for three years mm-hmm. and it just never seems to work right. But then one day all of a sudden you wrote a verse that all of a sudden just goes with it. And then the song comes together. Yeah. And then there's these other times where these pieces just seem to fall out of the sky and you write and you write an amazing song in three minutes. And it's just like, it just came to you and hunting is, not, is a lot of the times the same way. It's like you, you can put all all this work in and all this effort and sometimes it just doesn't come together and sometimes you get into a stand and bada boom, bada bing. It's like you didn't even have to try and, and, and right. that 160 or 180 yeah. walks out in front of you. Do you, I mean, do you feel like there's similarities there with those highs and lows and how you kind of manage those, those peaks and valleys? Mm-hmm. Is there a similarity there for, for you or, or is that not, um, or don't or do you not feel the same way? Yeah. I mean, it's really like, yeah, to me, it's like if it's, it's it's one of those things. Like if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. You know what I mean? Like 
uh, the, the things that, as far as like music, like writing, it's like the, the best stuff is the stuff that, I don't want to say it takes less effort, but it just naturally mm-hmm. happens. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, so I, the, the, the forced things are what do, doesn't work out. And the same thing is like hunting, you know, like you're like, say you're, you're out West elk hunting, right. And you got a screaming bull that just won't come, you won't come away from the cows. It's like, uh, if you, if you're, if you're trying to really force your force yourself in on that bull or, or trying to get, you know, trying to make him come out. And he's not coming out. Like, I mean, eventually it's just, he's going to bust, you know what I mean? Like it just, it wasn't, wasn't meant to happen. And then there's certain times right. where it's like that bull will come in from, you know, a couple hundred yards and like, like straight to you within, I mean, if, if, if before you shoot it, it probably would have come within five yards. You know what I mean? Uh, and it was like, right. it seemed like, it seemed like no matter what you did, it, it was perfect. You know? Uh, right. so to, I mean, to me, I feel like it's just one of those things where, uh, so, uh, so like for instance, like last fall, I shot my, my buck here in Tennessee. Right. And, Mm-hmm. I, ra- I, ra- I rattled and grunted and he came in on string. Like, I mean, it was like he, w- he came flying in. Right. And then there's times where a, a buck will be, you know, you know, just outside of bull range and you grunt and you rattle at him. And I mean, you're like, throw- you're throwing stuff at him practically, you know, to try to get him to, you know, move in just a little closer. And there- he doesn't, you know, there's, he doesn't want it, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, I'm- I mean, to, to, me, to me, to me, that to me, that's kind of a simpler, similar thing. Of as far as like, you know, uh, writing music or or like even like like you know being uh, you know, like guitar playing or fiddle playing. Like if you if you're trying to force notes and licks and solos like that, you're it can turn to a train wreck. But it's like you know you'll you'll be like in the zone and it'll just effortlessly come out and you're like oh my like people are like oh my gosh that's the most amazing thing ever i'm like i have no idea where that came from because <laughs> you know <laughs> i know right those are the best yeah i don't know if that answered your question think, at all but that you know that no it, it totally it totally does i mean i think i think the thing is is that there is some type of you know similarity there you know what i mean I think, yeah sure i think i think the unique thing is that everyone um approaches it differently right yeah, and different yeah. people have different processes for writing just as yeah. they have different processes for for bow hunting um yeah. and it's not necessarily that there's a right or a wrong way there's just a way that works for you exactly. um which kind of leads me into my next question which is like which is you know i know music is one of those things that's you know or i guess it's more of a like beauty is in the eye of the beholder right everyone has a perspective on what's good what's bad uh music everyone's a critic i guess is kind of what i'm getting at yeah right, right. um you know and, and hunting is hunting's kind of similar i've i've found of course you know especially with social media and and everyone's ability to kind of uh, have you know keyboard muscles if you will or you know everyone's done more with less and you know shot a bigger buck or you should have passed that one because he's too small and everyone has you know you know is judgmental as, as far as like what you know folks should be you know shooting or not shooting or passing or whatever the case might be so i'm just curious with your you know music being something that is you know an industry that does have a lot of uh, critics um you know hunting i think does as well so do you see there being social media providing a good influence or a bad influence on the hunting community at large what's your perspective uh- well, I mean, I think it, it just depends on, you know, wh- who and what uh, content people are putting out. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. 
uh, how, you know, like how realistic it, you know, certain things are, you know, I mean, like the majority of people aren't out there killing, you know, 400 inch elk or 180 inch whitetails, you know, right. Uh, most of the, yeah. you know, a, a lot of guys are happy to see one buck a season sometimes, you know, um, right. But I think overall, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's what people are putting out there is good. You know, it's, uh, mm. you know, the, the thing for, the thing for me is like, uh, you know, doing this at this level, I, I, music wise, it's like, <clears throat> yeah, everybody is a critic, right? But the, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you gotta do what makes you happy because honestly, people aren't losing sleep over what you're doing, really. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, yeah. And even, even the people that are like, you know, that'll bash somebody on social media for, uh, you know, not, uh, I don't know, like being a, being a sincere guy, like a bow hunter or something like that. Like they'll, they'll put right. some comment, they'll put some comment on Instagram or something. Right. And, uh, but you know, like me, like if somebody said something negative towards me, right. Uh, and I'm, you know, yeah, I get bent out of shape I, or I could get bent out of shape about it. Right. For, for, for days or something like that. And all honestly, that person left a comment just because they were for whatever insecurity they have. Right. And then they right. leave the comment and then that's it. Like they, like they finally were thinking about it after that. And then meanwhile, I'm thinking about right. it, you know? So, right. and it's the same, it's the same thing for music, especially the music. Everybody's a critic, right? Like, Oh, that guy's a horrible. Yeah. Then you ask the next guy, Oh, he's an amazing guitar player or, you know, or, or whatever. Like, you know, it's the beach each their own you know like there's there's a reason everybody's doing what they're doing right um but i but at the end of the day you gotta do what makes you happy that's really it you know what i mean right yeah that's well said man i think that's the important thing is like you know folks out there if you're you know, <clears throat> just kill the, you know, if, if it's deer hunting, shoot the deer that, that, that you're proud of, that you like, yeah. you know what I yeah. mean? It's don't let anyone else, don't let, you know, other people posting pictures of bigger deer sway, whether or not you should pass another deer or not. Because I think, you know, for me, it's like, I'd rather that guy or girl shoot that year and a half old buck. If that's, what's going to make them happy and keep them hunting. Yeah. Because otherwise, if not, eventually you know they're going to get to a point to where they're having zero success and it seems like a zero sum game to them and then they leave yeah. and well, yeah and we're not in a position as hunters where we can 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 lose hunters i mean hunter recruitment is, is down um or the hunter numbers are down i shouldn't say recruitment but hunter numbers are down overall um and we need as many people to create as a lot of a voice as we can so we make sure that the issues that are important to us whether it's public land or whether it's our, our right to continue to hunt or whatever the case might be that we have, uh, you know, a substantial voice in, in that fight. Right. Kind of my, yeah. Well, I and you, perspective of it. Yeah. And you know, a lot of it, there's a lot of variables and a lot of it's situational because you can't, you can't watch, uh, uh, let's say some white tail hunter in, you know, uh, like Illinois, right. That shoots mm-hmm. 180 inch deer all the time. And, 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 you know, telling somebody that lives in, I don't know, uh, West Virginia or something like that to, sh- to wait for a 180 whitetail. When there's, I mean, if there's not a one way, 180 whitetail in your, you know, where you hunt, I mean, it's pretty hard to shoot a 180 whitetail. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. uh, like, yeah, like, exactly. like, like, like for me, where I'm from in Wisconsin, I'm even, uh, I'm from Trebleville County and just, uh, the West, the, I'm, the bordering County is Buffalo County. And I don't know if you guys know, about Buffalo County, but it's, it's, that's always been the biggest, big whitetail county, uh, in Wisconsin for, I don't know, forever, it seems like. And, and over there, I mean, 
those guys would shoot easily 180s, almost 200 every year. And there's several, right? And then you go east, just, you know, 30 miles into where we're at, and they're not there. You know what I mean? Like, every once in a while, you'll get one. But uh, for me to sit and, you know, sit and wait for a, you know, 190-inch whitetail when the dudes are killing them all day long, uh, 30 miles away, it's just, it's just unrealistic. And even being that close, you know what I mean? Like, I'm all about, I'm all about letting, you know, bucks go so they can grow, you know? Um, but if it's just not genetically in your area, like, it's, that's, uh, it's, I mean, you kind of got to hunt with, with what's in your, you know, in your area, too. That makes right. sense. I mean, Start I think it's all about... No, it totally makes sense. I mean, I think it's, you have to have, you have to set the right expectation for yourself. You know, yeah, right. like, there's, there's, um, you know, I, I, I hunt Ohio every year, uh, or, you know, or I hunted Ohio last year and it's a state that I'll continue to go to cause I had a great time. Um, but I hunt Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania has a great hunting heritage, but you know, not every part of the state grows great deer. I mean, there are some pockets that do definitely, you know, roll out some studs. You're never going to see anything like you see in Iowa or Southern Ohio, most likely, you know, maybe once in a blue moon. But, you know, there's a buck I have on camera right now on my, my dad's property that he might be 100 inches, maybe, you know what yeah. I mean? And, and for that area, he's a nice buck, you know, so if yeah. he walks in front of my stand this fall, I'll have no problem drawing back on him, you know, because yeah. he is a good buck for that area as far as like what I've seen on camera, the biggest one we have around and on our property, at least. Now, that might change, you know, over the course of the, the season, I might get some other bruisers that happen to, you know come onto the property once pre-rut kind of kicks in and, and they start yeah. doing a little bit more moving. But, uh, up until then, you know, it's like, he's kind of, he's kind of the guy, but I'm interesting to get, I'm interested to get John's perspective here being the, uh, being from the big buck state of, of Iowa. What do you think, John? Well, it, you know, to kind of go back to what we were, t- you know, you guys were talking about, it's social media and outdoor television. I mean, uh, there's been a lot of influences over the years that, um, you know, you, if you don't kill a 180, then you're just not a good hunter, you know? And, and, and I hate that perception. You know, I've always, you know, even like with my own web show and I tell my team guys, um, obviously everybody was kind of pre-picked and, and I knew what everybody's, uh, intentions were. And it was, you know, the pursuit of hunting a mature animal. But if there's a mature animal that you want to take and, and it's a 130, it's a 140. Um, if if that deer, you know, gets the heart pumping and you get the jitters and and that's the animal you want to take, that's your trophy. You know, shoot whatever you want to shoot, whatever makes you feel good and that you were able to accomplish, you know, what you were trying to accomplish. And and I and I like I said, and I and I hate when I see a lot of stuff on social media where it's like, ah, you know, that that buck wasn't mature enough or he wasn't big enough. I wouldn't have shot that. Well, you know, my question is, were you in that tree stand? Did you get to see that deer come in and put on a show and run those other bucks off and chase that doe around and then stop and turn broadside? What would you do in that situation? You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, that just, that that was my, my two cents to kind of add on to what you guys were talking about. And I think we're all on the same page, you know, but when I moved out here to Iowa, the sole purpose of me moving out here was to chase an age structure of deer that I didn't have the opportunity to chase there in Kentucky. Um, so I had to come to a state where there's more deer than there are humans, you know, basically. And I know last year my buddies were like, so you killed a 180 yet? I'm like, what are you talking about? 
And they said, well, you know, you're in Iowa. There's like five behind every tree, right? And I'm like, actually seven. I'm just a really crappy hunter, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> it, right. it doesn't exist, you know? And that whole TV world of if you're going to kill a big buck, you got to be in Kansas or you got to be in Iowa. There's big bucks everywhere. It's all relative to what is big, what is big genetics for that state. You know, you're not going to kill a 180 in Florida, but that does that mean you can't go to Florida and kill a big buck? Of course not. You know, right. so, um, yeah, that's my thing, man. I, I, I myself, I like to hunt, you know, mature animals and, uh, last year I passed a bunch of three-year-olds that were actually bigger than the four-year-old that I killed. Um, but that's, that's my thing. Hunt, hunt mature deer, but at the same time, hunt what makes you happy. I mean, I think this is a passion driven sport and that's why we all do it. And like Clint, like you were saying earlier, we walk into the woods, I'm going to change your percentage. I'm going to say that we walk into the woods with a 95% failure rate. And right. we still get up at four o'clock in the morning and we still, we still do it. You know, I mean, are we crazy? Yeah. No, I just, it's the passion behind it. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jimmy. Sorry. I was, I was going to chime in uh, just for a second. So, um, you know, I'll, so uh, what I love about like Western hunters and Western hunting is like guys could go out with like a, you know, like a, a recurve or whatever, right? And and they're pumped to get a spike bull, right? And they put on mi- like Western yeah. hunters, right? And you put you put on miles and miles and miles, right? And I mean, it's 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 hard work, man. You got elevation, and I mean, you got you just got to hike, man. You got to find the animals, and then to, to to get an animal within bow range, whether it's a muley or, or a, a blacktail or a or elk or whatever. I mean, it's 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 that's not easy. That is an easy task. And what I love about uh, Western hunt, hunters is that, it's, it, yeah, there's guys that shoot huge muleys or huge bulls, but there's a lot of guys that shoot uh, what, that would be like, you know, average size deer, right? And they're pumped. And then they they're, they shoot it, and then they're done. They don't, you know, they don't think about it after the fact. Uh, they're not like the right. emphasis on the size or whatever, or like, oh, they're not a good hunter because they shoot, that shot a spike or whatever. They should have had a compound or whatever, you know? Uh, to me, like the Western hunting is much more accepting of like just shooting stuff that you're happy about. That's not, I don't know. I'm, I'm, right. I'm not be wrong, but no, going, I, to, to I a lot, like, going, going to a lot of these trade shows, uh, you know, I see, I see more of, more of that, that side of things. Uh, right. But also, I feel like, and man, I grew up in whitetail country. I love hunting whitetail. That's what I grew up. That's what I know what to do, right? But the thing that I don't like to see is people like, like John said, is like, oh, you shot a 130. You're not, you're, you're not a good hunter because, you know, you should have shot a 180. Uh, my, my gripe about whitetail hunters is like, everybody's a critic, right? And, but the majority of, uh, you're like, like walking to your stand, right? It's like typically, I don't know, 100, 200 yards, right? You go from the you go from the truck to your stand, several hundred yards. That's about it. It's not like these Western guys are putting on miles that are backpacking for a week, week and a half, right? And going after animals. It's it's guys that uh, that 
the whitetail critics are the ones that, you know, you watch your stand for a few hundred yards and then that's it. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of, it's all kind of relative, right. you know? Right. Yeah. I think, I think you hit on something there that just made me think I was like, and what I was kind of thinking of was you kind of started getting to it to where you were saying like how, you know, most people when they're white tail hunting, like, you know, the distance that they're willing to travel. I mean, you know, if you're hunting public land and you hike more than a half mile, you've pretty much gone further than most of your average hunters are going to walk into the woods, you know, so yeah. to avoid pressure. Um, so, and I don't want to say it's the effort or the work because there's a lot of white tail hunters that do scouting all year round and put in yeah. miles upon miles of, of scouting in the off season before they go set a stand. So I don't want to say that it's work, but I almost want to say that the Western hunter it's just, you're right. It's like my buddies who are big Western hunters that you make, make a trip out every year for a couple of weeks and, and they absolutely love it. It's their mindset is just a little bit different. Like it's almost like it's about the experience and that whatever the outcome is in terms of whatever game they're bringing back is just the completion of the experience. But it doesn't, if it, if it doesn't come to fruition or the bull isn't big enough or the muley isn't big enough or whatever, it doesn't diminish the experience. For some reason, I see it feels like whitetail hunters, like we're, we're willing to diminish our own experiences based on the size of the deer that we killed. And I don't know, to me, it's like I've had some hunts where I've walked into the woods um, and there was a there was a buck last year that, that busted me before I before the, the one that I shot the day before. Mm-hmm. And if that hunt would have ended that day. I had an awesome hunt because the things that I saw in the woods and the experience that I had was just unreal. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before in the rut. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that perspective, it was like, it could have stopped that day without a, you know, eating tag soup and I would have been happy. Right. Um, so I don't know. It's, I think you're hitting on something there and I think it's the more the appreciation for the, for the experience. I think whenever it gets to the Western hunters, because I think the amount of, you know, physical effort that they have to go through to get there, that it's like, it's not just about the antler size. It's like, man, you might've had to put on, you might have hiked 10 miles that day and then had to track it for two and then pack it out, you know, in four trips over the course of five miles, you know, and pack out, you know, a total of 20 miles, <laughs> you know, and yeah, one, like right, yeah. one back and forth trips. So it's like yeah. the, the, the work, you know, it becomes part of the story. And I think that's what, that's what people kind of forget, you know, is that, is that story. And it's like, and I've just, I know John, you're buddies with this guy and I've been watching a lot of his stuff right, recently is Jason Matt singer, I think right uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh, into the high country. And I've been watching a lot of the stuff that he's putting out and it's like, it's just obviously his videography, like his skills as a producer and like in, in the film is just, just super well shot. But beyond that, it's kind of how he's telling the story. Cause it's not over dramatized. It's just capturing what happens and like what actually happens in an elk hunt is actually exhilarating. And it's in, in the, and you get to kind of experience that whole, the whole experience, you know? And I think that's what Western hunting really does really well. And I think that they, when people talk about it, that's what they talk about is the experience. They, they, they get to like what happened with the kill later, but they'll tell you everything that happened in between first. Um, sure. cause that's really the, the meat of it. Um, but Jimmy, I want to be sensitive to your time here, man. I know we've had you here for about an hour, so I have one more hot oh, question or, or a yeah. super critical question. Yeah. Super critical. All right. And then one follow up after this. So that's it. super important question. How many guitars does Jimmy Herman Herman have and which one is your baby? Oh boy! Uh, oh, I know. It's like picking your favorite kid, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I'd say between. I don't know. I probably have ten guitars, right? Um, right. And probably uh, my home. My I, I, I'll call it my home bass guitar, right? It was 
my my go to is probably my Telecaster. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm probably most comfortable at, with the, with the Telecaster, uh, and then I'd say Les Paul after that. Nice, yeah. I uh, yeah. I think my baby. It's the only. I, mean, I kept a couple of the guitars once I kind of stopped playing consistently, um, and you know have a. Uh, a nice Martin, which I just found that I have a crack in it, which sucks. Yeah. Um, so I have to have to get that remedied. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, my my baby is a uh, '58 Custom Shop Les Paul. That's my like. That's the one that I will always have, and hopefully one day we'll hand to my to my daughter to play. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That thing is. Uh, it's taken a beating. It's been. You know. It's slid across a couple stages when strap lops, uh strap <laughs> strap locks right. have broken. So it's. Right. It's been through the uh, through the through the gamut. It still sounds good, plays good. Neck still all. It's I like a big fat neck, and it was kind of very uh, yeah, me too. Um, I guess Zeppelin like. And I have the uh, the 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 Page Burst Bucker pickups in it too. So it's very oh cool, Zeppelin yeah. So it's so it's got it's yeah. cherry sunburst and everything. Uh, no, it's actually uh, tobacco burst. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um. So with with that. What is uh, do you have a favorite bow or any gear that you're uh, that you're particularly fond of on the uh, on the hunting side of things? Mm. Well, I've been shooting the Hoyt last couple of years. Uh, I've been shooting the Carbon Defiant. That's pretty that's a pretty awesome bow. Um, and I'm also digging the the uh, my arrow setups. The I shoot the Black Eagle X Impact arrows, and then mm-hmm. uh, I shoot the Valkyrie um, broadheads. Uh, it's a pretty heavy nice. setup. Very controversial. Right, set up. Uh, right. I'm about 640 grains, but uh, I shot this morning. Wow. I, I shot already this morning at 60 yards, and uh, it puts them in there. So, um, yeah, nice. it's, it's an awesome setup. Nice. You get some some serious kinetic energy down down range. Then you got some wallop. Oh yeah, it's uh, I, I compare it to like it's like shooting a 300 mag. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it, it it it'll it'll do some damage for sure. Right, we could package that up as like the Jimmy Herman bow package, the 300 mag package. <laughs> yeah, right. I sell one or two. <laughs> uh, nice, but hey, man, I want to be sensitive to your uh, to your time here. Don't want to keep you too awful long, but uh, if you wouldn't mind, where uh, where can some folks find out more information about you and kind of follow along with the, your music and your hunting? Oh man, uh, I got a website, JimmyHerman.com. Uh, my Instagram is the Jimmy Herman and, uh, I've got a, you know, Facebook and a Twitter too, but, uh, those are the two main ones. Nice. Yeah. So for everyone out there listening, do yourself a favor, give Jimmy a follow. Great follow. There's always all kinds of hunting and, and music related stuff. Awesome Instagram page. Um, and then, you know, do yourself a favor and check out his site and pick up one of those, uh, one of those t-shirts. I might have to be making a, a purchase of one of those so I can rock that. Uh, like hey man, I do appreciate you coming on. What's that? I said, do it. Get 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 the mojo. Get the mo. Got to get the mojo flowing. That's right. Hey go. man, I do appreciate you coming on, and uh, and it's good to get to talk bow hunting to you. And if you wouldn't mind, man, I think we need to have a round two here sometime uh, during the course of the season. Yeah, man, I love that. Awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate your time, brother. You take care. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I want to thank Jimmy for joining us, and be sure to head over to JimmyHerman.com and or follow him on his Instagram and Facebook pages. I'll place the links in the blog post show notes. Most importantly, I want to take a moment to thank all of you for tuning in and giving us a uh, part of your day. 
There are a ton of you downloading the podcast each week, and we couldn't be more appreciative that you all choose to spend a little bit of time with us. And with that, if you could leave us a rating on iTunes, that would be awesome. And be sure to hit the iTunes subscribe button while you're there so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes and follow along with us on the Truth From The Stand Instagram and Facebook pages. If you'd like to get involved in the show and have John and I or a guest answer your questions, or if you'd just like to recommend a topic for discussion, email me your suggestions at truthfromthestand at gmail.com or click the email button on our Instagram account and leave us a message. And finally, I need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to make this podcast possible. Whitetail Institute of North America, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. And until next time, we'll see y'all. It takes a special knowing to colorful. Damaged heads, broken letters. Nationalize yourself in numbers. But I gotta get away from here. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.